0: Tonight,
1: I'm, I'm, I'm thankful, I'm humbled by the opportunity to bring the Word of God. Um, pray that the Lord will, will do tonight um, what I hope that He will. You know, we gather tonight to celebrate really a special event um, that, you know, every year comes around and some of us have specific memories tied to it. You know, the world calls it, calls it Christmas. And it celebrates it with family and with fun and food and fellowship and gift giving. I couldn't think of another another F there. So the bottom line is we have all these things in the world that we celebrate Christmas with. And uh, you know the planet is celebrating right now a fat man in a red suit and uh, flying reindeer and you know magical elves as we speak. Right. That's kind of where the focus has become. And what happens about this this time is people spend the amount of time, they tremendous amount of time and energy and effort. Um, focused upon celebrations and decorations and so many things, we tend to lose sight of what this time is actually about and who it's about. It's a global celebration, right? And it's in some, for some people, it can say, be a time of wonder and excitement, but there's other people that may be here that are maybe suffering a little bit of sadness, right? Sometimes it's a time of depression. Sometimes people are broken because there's somebody that they love that's gone on, and there's that sense of feeling alone. And I want you to know the fact that, you know, and I'm not downplaying that in any way, shape, or form, but we have to remember what this time is about. It's not about us. In the end, it's all about us setting ourselves aside, aside and remembering who it really is all about. It all started years and years ago, years ago commemorating a specific event, right? And what happens is now that the world has, has taken this, and it was not the birth of Santa Claus. It was not the discovery of the flying reindeer. It wasn't the first encounter with the magical elves. It was an event that changed human history for all time. And we track it back, and as we look at this, it's a time where hope was introduced into the world like never before, where there was a beautiful event that took place, and it happened for a purpose. Christmas is not about the decorations or the food or the parties or any of that stuff. It's about 2,000-some years ago, an angel arriving on earth, to give a proclamation of something miraculous that was going to happen. And what we have to remember is the fact that, you know what, even though in today's day and age we don't hear a match about him and his name is used less and less during the season, but we're going to look specifically at the event, at the child, at the reason for the season and the reason why we should be celebrating and what it's all about. For generations, it was foretold of the arrival of a king, a Messiah. And what we're going to do tonight is we're actually going to go back in time into the Old Testament, and we're going to look at the prophecies of the coming of the child, and then we're going to look at the story of what God did. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for the opportunity you've given us to be in your house. Thank you, Lord, for your word, which is so rich and amazing. And the more we study it, Lord, the, realize, the more the realize uh, we realize how much we don't know uh, God, every day when I'm in the Word, I realize, Father, my inadequacies. And, Lord, I'm just so thankful for the Spirit of God that dwells within us as believers, that helps us to discern the Word. And, Lord, I know that you've spoken to me, and I would ask, God, that you would now speak through me, Lord, that the words that I share will not be the ones that I would choose, but, God, that the human element would be removed, and the, Lord, you will give us. Thus saith the Lord. And, Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so way back in the book of Genesis, what's interesting is we see that there was a talk about a Messiah that was come, going to come and bless the earth. In Genesis 22:18, the Bible says this: "In thy seed and all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice." And in thy seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We know that the Lord was uh, who came and who would come in the flesh in the, for the entire world to be blessed. Through the gift of salvation, we see that in John three sixteen and 17, seventeen, First Timothy two four, Mark sixteen fifteen, and many other verses. Then in Isaiah eleven verses one and two, we hear this: "And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and Jesse, this is this is David, King David's father, and a branch." I want you to notice that in the word that word branch is capitalized. A branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And just a little side note, if you're ever studying the book of Revelations, you'll see that in Revelations 3.1 and in Revelations 4.5, it talks about the seven spirits of God. And people go, "Oh, well, there's only one spirit. There's a Holy Spirit. In reality, there are seven spirits of God, and we just saw them listed in this verse. They're the spirit of wisdom, understanding, spirit of counsel, might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the Lord. So there'll be a perfect man, a God man, who will walk in absolute righteousness. Then in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6, it says this, Behold, the days come and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Now, in Jesus' first coming, did he execute judgment upon the earth? Did he execute justice upon the earth? No. There'll be two comings of the Lord. The first time he'll come as the baby, he will die as as a sacrifice, and the second time he will come as a king. So this is prophesying about two events of the coming of Christ. Verse six, it says, in his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord, our righteousness, the Messiah, the King, the ruler comes out of the line of David and he will bring peace upon the earth. Now Micah 5.2 says this, but thou Bethlehem Ephrata, Ephratah is just simply another word for Bethlehem. It says, Through thou be, this is though thou be little among the, the, the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting." So he's saying, look, there's been prophecy telling us that here comes the king out of the little town of Bethlehem. Isaiah 7:14 says this. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So we see again another prophecy. Here we see conceived, this impossible event of a virgin giving birth to a child. And his name tells us who he is, that name, Emmanuel. Do you know what Emmanuel means? God with us. God with us. Psalm 72 tells us about the king's that will bring him gifts and recognition of who he is and will reel the purpose of his coming. In Psalm 72, verses 10 through 15, And it says, The kings of Tarshish and of the isles shall bring presents, and the kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. And yea, all kings shall fall down before him, all nations shall serve him, pointing to the second coming. For he shall deliver the needy when he crieth the needy. The poor also in him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy and shall save the souls of the needy. Guess who the needy are? It's us. We're in need because on our own we're in desperate trouble. He shall redeem their souls from deceit and violence. He'll redeem them from sin. And precious shall their blood be in his sight. And he shall live and to him shall be given of the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually and daily shall he be praised. So according to these scriptures, if we go through them, a child will one day be born for the purpose of blessing the entire world. The Savior of the world will be of the Jewish descent. He will become, he will come from the line of David. He will possess the righteousness of God. He will be miraculously conceived of a virgin. He'll be born in the town of Bethlehem. His purpose for coming will be to deliver the souls of the needy from the penalty of their sin. And on top of that, this supernatural child will be visited by foreign kings who will bring gifts and they will bow down before him. How beautiful, the account of Jesus' birth. Now, we see it recorded in two different parts of the Gospels. We see it in the book of Matthew, and we'll see it in the book of Luke. One's going to be from the husband's perspective, from Joseph's, and the other's going to be from Mary's perspective. Let's look at Joseph's first in Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. It says, Now, the birth of Jesus was on this wise, when as his mother mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with, with child of the Holy Ghost. My mouth is blah, blah, blah. Here we go. There we go. Here we go. Got this going. Here we go. All right. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus. So we see the account of the biblical, or the biblical account in, from Joseph's perspective, and now we'll take a look at it from Mary's perspective from the book of Luke, which many of us are very familiar with. Luke verse 1 says, "...and in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary." And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this would be. She said, Oh, my goodness, what is this guy talking about? And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Not only is he prophesying, prophesying, prophesying of the first coming, but the second coming at the same time. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man?" And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Can any of us imagine if we had that meeting, how we might be a little overwhelmed? (laughs) If that's what you heard was going to take place in your life. By the the way, not only is a Holy Ghost going to plant a baby inside of you, when it's born, this is going to be the Son of God. Son of God. Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Remember, the, the Messiah comes out of the line of David to be taxed with Mary as a spouse, wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be conceived, that she should, that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the, Lord, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not, Do you realize that they understand the purpose of this birth? They know what the, the reason for this child being born. The world doesn't know. The, the, the shepherds don't know. Mary doesn't even understand. Understand? No one in humanity understands. But these angels, boy, when they sing, they're saying, do you not realize glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, good will Toward men, no greater will towards men than the Saviour. Verse fifteen And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go into go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which they had been told concerning the child, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She had to be overwhelmed. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. So tonight we've heard the story of this impossible birth. It should never have happened. It's impossible by by human understanding uh, to be born of a virgin is an impossibility, but yet God has done it. A birth that would forever change the world. A birth that would alter the course of human history. It would be an unprecedented birth in the little town of Bethlehem, right? And through this unprecedented birth, we get to glimpse into another birth that we're going to touch on tonight, another supernatural birth, one that was also miraculous, impossible, and had eternal consequences, one that would forever change the world, at least, at least one person's world, and would alter the course of at least one, humans, history. Who is this person? Jesus gives us a clue to this person's identity in John 3. John 3 verses 1 through 7. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God for no man can do these these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So Jesus makes a correlation here between physical birth and spiritual birth. And he talks as he speaks to Nicodemus, he's trying to point out eternity to him. He's saying, look, if you want to understand what it means to be a child of God, there's a birth that must take place that's different than the one you know of, which is the physical birth. And at the same time, in verse number six, notice that he actually makes a, a very strong contrast. To be talking, He talks about being born of the flesh, right? In verse six, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So to be born of the flesh, to be physically born, enters you into this temporal world. It brings us into what we understand life to be. But no matter what we do, no matter what we may accomplish in this world, no matter what we do in regards to caring for others or giving of our resources or kindness or love or whatever benevolence you may try to impart to this world, it will not change your life in the spiritual realm. And what happens is we live in a world where people try to take the physical world and make it adapt to the spiritual world, and they work separately. The things you do in this life do not affect your eternity And the fact that, guess what? We're all born with the same problem. We're all born divided from God. We're all born with exactly the same issue, which is a natural tendency to do wrong. Think about it. With little children, you don't have to teach a child to tell a lie. You have to teach a child to tell the truth. Because if you walk in and they have broken something, and you say... What happened? They don't go, I did it, and tell you the details. They go, I don't know. <laughs> or they go, a doggy jumped in the window and he smashed the plate and then he ran out the window. You're like, really, is that what happened? hmm you promised. Mm-hmm, <laughs> right? When I was a kid, I was a little kid, I decided I was gonna burn some stuff in the, in the bathroom. I don't know, I was obsessed with fire when I was a little kid. And I took a toilet paper roll in the bathroom and I put it on a plastic trash can. Not a good idea, just telling you up front, if you ever tried, don't do this. And I sat down and I said my dad had a, a, a set of drums that he brought back from Africa, handmade drums. And I put the trash can on the handmade drums. And then I put the toilet paper roll inside the trash can and I lit it on fire. And I sat there and watched it. And I was like, man, look at that. And all of a sudden it fell right through the bottom of the trash can, through the drums, onto the carpet, so now I've got burning carpet with plastic and leather from the drums. I've got a hole through the drums and smoke filling the room. And I'm freaking out and running, and my, and my mom comes, what's going on, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> she's like, she's like you, you don't know, you just walked out of the room, there's a cloud of smoke following you out of the bathroom. And I'd rearrange everything, put magazines, everything, you know, da-da-da. She's just like, you're telling me nothing happened there. Mm-hmm, nothing happened. The house is full of smoke. It smells like smoke in there, I can st- you burn something? In- no, no, I didn't. You're sure? Mm-hmm. Because guess what? We don't want to face consequences. We're all that way. We avoid pain and we seek pleasure. I thought that I could lie my way out of it. Guess what? It didn't work. I eventually got caught. Imagine that. <laughs> good a job I said hiding that. But what we have is this tendency to wrong. We all struggle with the same issue of sin, and it doesn't matter what we do in this life. We're all going to face the same issue: this division from God. In fact, as God looks at our good works. And all that we do to try to earn our way into his presence, all he sees is filth. Isaiah 64 verses 6 and 7 says this, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Our sin is our problem. And there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee, for thou hast hid thy face from us and has consumed us because of our iniquities. Our issues with with God are not because of God. God asks us to live righteously, and we make choices not to. The issue between us and God is us, not him. He's waiting to forgive. That's the reason why Jesus came. When we're born of the flesh... We were born into sin, and it's our very nature. Psalm 51, five says this, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This doesn't mean him particularly or specifically. What it's saying is, you know what? All of humanity is sinful. So if two people come together and they create a child, it's done in sin. We have a natural inclination to do the wrong thing. It's talking, the Bible calls it living in the flesh. Romans 8, verses 6-8 says this, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. In our flesh, we will never please God. We will never be good enough. Because guess what? The things that we do, even the kind things that we do, we do them for the wrong reasons. You ever give something or do something kind and you wish and hope somebody saw it? Or maybe we see it posted on Facebook. Man, I gave this guy a dollar. Did you get the dollar? Got it. Yeah. Smile at me. Let's get together. Right? We do it for our own self-serving purposes. God says, look, you know what? It's not it. We have this separation between us and God. So if we're physically, physical beings and we live in our flesh, how do we please God? We can't. And that's the reason for Emmanuel. That's the reason that we're celebrating now the birth of the Savior. The reason we needed salvation is because, guess what? We're hopelessly lost On our own. We don't have a chance. On the night of his birth, the Son of God entered into our world so that 33 and a half years later, he would be giving us the opportunity to become the sons and daughters of God through his death, burial, and resurrection. He came in humility and love and lived a life of persecution and suffering on a mission, on a mission to die a selfless Savior. Understand, Jesus was without sin. In all ways, tempted as we are tempted, but yet without sin. And we are all wretched with sin. And he came into this world, not just to set an example of behavior or how we should act or try to influence people, but ultimately because there would be only one way to pay for the sins of the world. One, only one. A perfect sacrifice, holy, sinless blood that could be applied to the debt of humanity. Because with God, there is a debt. Just like in society, when you do something wrong, you have to face the consequences. God is a loving God, but God, God is also a just God. He's a just God. If you go out, if I go out and I murder somebody, and I go to court, and let's say it's your mother that I kill, and we're sitting in court, and right before the judge is about to pass judgment, and it's proven, man, they got, they got me dead to rights. I did it. There's no doubt about it. And let's say I admit that I did it, and that I, but right before, I take out this list that I've made of all of the good things that I've done in my life. And I write them all out. Every person I've loved, every person I've cared for, every kind word I've ever said, everything. And I mean, I've got a phone book full of kind things that I've done. And I lay it down in front of the judge. Before you make the decision, would you take a look at that? And let's say he scrolls through it and he goes, man, that's a lot of good here. You've really done amazing things. Wow, that's amazing. You know, I tell you what, based upon this, why don't I just let you go? And you're sitting in the crowd, and it was your mother. Is that a good judge or a bad judge? That's a bad judge. Yet we want God to be a bad judge. We want him to take a look at our list of good works and ignore the things that we've done that we know are wrong. God is a good judge. He's a just God, just just God. The Bible tells us in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. (laughs) On our own, in our flesh, we have no hope of eternity. But for the good news, the great news, is that through our Savior, we can be guaranteed an eternity with Him. Through the birth, life, and death of Jesus, Emmanuel, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, we can become the sons and the daughters of God. Not because we deserve it, but because of his love. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do. Yet we receive it anyway. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Grace is to, reach, is to extend love to someone who doesn't deserve it. And I, you know what? I can only tell you for me because I can't speak for you, but I know I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve the grace of God. I didn't deserve his forgiveness. I didn't deserve his love. I've hurt thousands and thousands and thousands of people in my life. I've made awful decisions. I've hurt people. I've lied. I've cheated. I've steeled. My wife and I, we've had abortions. We're guilty of murder. I'm a wicked, wicked person. But guess what? I bet if we looked in the mirror, we might all say we're all very close to that same thing. We've got issues in our hearts and in our lives. And guess what? God looks at us and he says, I have every right to judge you for what you are. And let you die and suffer. Mm. But because I love you. Mm. Not only am I going to create a way, but I'm going to come down myself. And I'm going to take the load on me. All of your guilt. Why don't I take it on myself? Mm. And not only will I carry the guilt, but I'll be murdered for it. I'll be tortured for it. Mm. And the blood that I spill will be applied to your debt, not mine. How amazing is that? He has a right to destroy us, to judge us, yet he finds or makes a way for us to escape that judgment. John 3, 16 and 17 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, listen, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, it would be God's love that would put Jesus in the manger and it will be that exact same love. To put him on the cross. God's plan would be that through one spiritual birth, there would be millions and millions more. First Timothy 2, verses 3 through 5 says this. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He came. He lived and he died that we might be born again. His purpose was clear. His heart was clean. His life was given and the sin debt was paid. So that when the Lord reveals to us our sinful past, our lustful hearts, our carnal minds, we might choose to accept his salvation, that gift that he offers. Luke fifteen seven says this, I say unto you that likewise, Joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than, one, one, more, than, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need repentance. Joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Because guess what? When we do this, when we repent of our sins, we recognize our lost condition. We recognize our need of a Savior. We accept His love and we make it a part of who we are and we become His child. The beautiful thing is, man, when we receive that gift, there is great celebration and the announcement in heaven that a child is born. If you're a born again child today, there was a day when that announcement was made. A child is born. The same thing they said about Jesus. A child is born. And if you're here tonight and you are a child of God, praise the Lord. Amen. There is rejoicing in the presence of the, of the angels over our birth. But you know what, if you're here tonight and you say, you know what, I'm not born again. Guys, 18 years ago, I was a lost man who was raised with no church whatsoever. I never opened a church. I never opened a Bible in my life. I saw them in drawers at hotels. That was about as close as I ever got. And no one ever explained the gospel to me. No one ever took me to a church. I went to funerals and weddings, and that was it. And there was a night when somebody came to our house, my wife. God bless her. She was searching for the Lord, and God God put godly people in our life that happened to care enough to come to our house. And they took out a Bible and they showed me who Jesus was. They talked about who God was. I didn't even know who he was. I knew, there was a, I knew the cross represented something, but I really didn't know what it meant. I didn't understand God's love for me. I thought God was just a big judge who's wanting to slam down a hammer on me. And all I was gonna do, I was never gonna be good enough. And the fact that he said, you know what? God knows that about you. He knows you'll never be good enough. And that's why he created a way. He made a bridge with two pieces of wood straight into heaven for you, David. You can go the rest of your life hoping you're going to work your way to heaven, but I can promise you this, it's never going to work. You're always going to have a void in your heart, and that puzzle piece that you've been searching for all your life, that you try to stick everything in, relationships, sex, drugs, whatever you stick in that hole, that just makes you feel more and more empty, guess what? Its name is Jesus, and you need him because he's the only thing that's going to fill it. And you know what? I didn't know any of the Bible. I didn't understand what he was talking about, but I knew truth when I heard it. And it spoke to my heart. And I went from sitting like this to being like this. And when he asked me that night, he said, would you receive Christ if he was ready to receive you right now exactly as you are? If he would receive you exactly as you are, David, as broken as you are, would you you receive him? I said, yes, I would. And my wife and I slid off the couch onto our knees on Waverly Hall in 2001 and I called out to God and all it was simple man all I did was I said you know what I know I'm the problem and I understand and I believe that you're the solution and I give you my life I give you my heart yeah. and I went down on my knees a broken vessel and stood up a vessel fit for the master's use not because I was worthy not because I deserved it but because of God's love and see, that's us, every one of us. Yes. If you're here tonight and you say, you know what, I don't have that relationship, man, I, I beg you to get it. Yes. The Bible uses the word beseech. Beseech means beg. Yes. Paul, again and again, he beseeches, beseeches, beseeches. He says, I beg you, because we're not promised tomorrow. This could be our last day on earth. And if you open your eyes in hell, you're going to remember this conversation. You're going to remember being in this service. Yes. And you're going to say, if only. Yes. But it'll be too late. Yes. I'm not trying to scare you into it, but I want you to know that God is reaching out to you. The Bible says, no man cometh to God, but the Father draw him. And you can feel it right now. If God's drawing you, just answer the call. Just answer the call. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for coming and loving us like you do. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to hear from you, Father. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll do a work in hearts and lives tonight, Lord. Thank you for helping us to see the beauty of your birth. And Lord, help us see it crisscrossed with ours. God, we thank you for that. And Lord, for that one that's here that maybe says, you know what? I don't have that relationship. I have that void. I have that fear of death. I don't know God. I know of him. I have him in my head, but I don't have him in my heart. And I spend my life trying to find satisfaction, but I just can't find it. We'll never find it. Never until we find God. And he's reaching out even now with their heads bowed and their eyes closed. If you're here tonight and you want to receive that gift, not a religious ceremony, not magic words of a prayer, nothing like that. This is a willing heart that wants to receive God. I can promise you he's done all the work already. His heart is broken for you and he loves you exactly as you are. And he's ready to receive you. If you're online, if you're watching this recorded, no matter where you are, where you, what's going on, it is nothing more than as simple of you opening your heart to Him. I'm going to lead you in prayer, and you can pray this prayer in your heart, in your mind, right where you're at, privately, because I am promise you, God can hear. I'm going I'm to lead you in prayer. Repeat after me if you want to receive God, not the words. Remember, God's listening to your heart. The Bible says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In your heart and mind, if you want to receive Christ, repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for all that I've done wrong. I know that I've put division between us and I don't want that to be anymore. Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you to apply your blood to my debt. Lord, for you to die in my place. I believe that you have the power to save me through your death, your burial, and your resurrection. Please come into my heart this very second and save my soul. Lord, thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.